Hello, everybody. My name is Nicola. Today I'm talking to Monique van Hinte. She is a theater maker. She is a teacher at Artes uh, Art Academy in Zwolle. She used to teach at It's DNA in Amsterdam. And she also is very involved in youth theater, uh, which we'll hear more about. And she's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking to her today about her experiences and what she does. So maybe you can tell me about your first memories um, of art, whether that be theater or not. First memories of art? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't really know because of, um, art is something that sort of like what defines art. When is something art? That's for something. That's for me not a sort of a definition. This is art and this is not yeah. art. So I, I would have difficulty saying this is a memory of art. Okay. I can say what I can say that, for example, one of the people that made an impression on me when I was quite young was uh, Nina Simone and was Janis Joplin because my parents were listening to it. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a definition of yeah. memory of art that I really I remember uh, putting on the record myself when I was like four or something. Okay. Uh, so you I were really compelled to put it on yourself. Yeah, I was allowed to as well. So I had parents that permitted me it was in the time it was way back when you had a record player and yeah. actually kids weren't allowed to have you know to, to handle records because no. it was you know you had the needle if you do it you know clumsily then the needle would go all over the records so, yeah so it was quite a privilege actually that we were allowed to do it nice so you're, would you say your parents were supportive of consuming art or music or? I think they just like I, I, I I think they were supportive of consuming art, but I would never phrase it like that because that doesn't fit my parents. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. What about your memories of theater? Like, what were your, what hooked you to, to theater? Uh, what hooked me to theater was the uh, performance of Hauser or Kater, which is way back when, this is, we're talking this end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. Uh -huh. And they were a Dutch um, music theater group uh, that did, um, uh, that made, uh, theater in a very um, different way than what I knew theater was at the time. Uh, what I had known about theater was more, you know, a performance like of a, a Shakespeare play or something mm -hmm. like this, which I wasn't really interested in. Um, I wasn't interested in language mm. as a as a tool because I had traveled a lot as a kid, and I had um, uh, actually some problems with languages in the sense that I was mixing them up and I was. I didn't trust language. Yeah. So uh, when I saw Hauser or Kater, who made music theater, where music was actually uh, not only, uh, you know, it wasn't decorative, it was one of the protagonists of the of the performance. And there was a, this guy called Jim van der Waude, who was, I can't say he was a mind player, because if, if I say mind player, you would think of somebody does something yeah, like this, which he did not do. He made, he, he did physical acts, during the show that had nothing to do really with the show and that were that were during that was sort of like coming in at odd times and this absurdism and uh, this different disciplines they were actually they were visual artists that made theater so mm -hmm. it was very visual mm. and how different disciplines connected together into these performances that the first the, I saw one performance and I was hooked to that kind of theater. How old were you when that happened? I don't know, I think it was like 16 or 17. 16, uh, 16 I think. 
So from that moment, like, can you tell us about your trajectory, whether yeah. it be education or any training or how did what you I, get What I did, I was, I was in high school and um, I was actually headed for a scientific career. Okay. Uh, I wanted to become a marine biologist, but sort of like, uh, okay. Uh, but then I began doing mime. Uh, lessons and that was this kind of pantomime lessons and then I uh, when I was 17 I was quite young I had my uh, high school uh, diploma uh, I moved to France and lived on my own over there and um, actually then I, I I only wanted to do theater so I, I went to a pantomime school by a guy called Philippe Bizot which was a classical pantomime mm -hmm. guy but a brilliant mime he wasn't like uh, Marcel Marceau was also a brilliant mime you can say but He was very anecdotic and very much, you know, this you know smiley thing with this flower and very romantic in this sort of like a, well, sort of like a, a dated way. Bizot combined pantomime with no theater, so it was really a very intense kind of kind of gestural or physical theater. And I worked with a guy called Guy Lenoir, who was in the avant-garde of the theater at Bordeaux, where I lived in Bordeaux, and where I was doing crazy workshops of you know, in, in two days making performances and then having an audience and having to perform them and these things, and it was really crazy. And this combination of these two things actually sort of formed me. Mm. And then uh, I wanted to do a school, but I wasn't able to do a school in France because my parents were not supportive of me doing art no, school. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> They thought I was going to become a biologist. <laughs> and I sort of like didn't do that, and I freaked out and did all kinds of other stuff. Uh, and then they were not... Yeah, they, were, they, they wanted to wait until I was sure about what I wanted to do. I was sort of like nomadic in, in a certain period. Yeah. Uh, but I was doing this theater, and I wanted to do that. And to do, be able to do that, I had to go to Holland because okay. uh, I had a Dutch uh, passport. So you came back to Holland. Yeah, and this was before the EU. So you couldn't go to France and just do a th theater school. You had to do a Dutch school first. Before the to, European Union? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You had to do a Dutch school first before you could get a scholarship or something to mm. support you in, an, in an, another school. So I had to go to Holland. Okay. And uh, there I uh, did the audition for the MIME school, what's called the MIME school, and I was accepted. And, uh, but the MIME school was actually a school where they were, um, at the time, which is the 80s, there was an actor that was the head of the school, and they were making, it, was, it, it wasn't a pet at all pantomime, mm -hmm. at all. It was like pantomime was really a, a nasty word and something that... <laughs> a nasty word? Yeah, yeah, it really had to be, feel very bad about if you were doing pantomime. Oh, wow. It was something completely different. Interesting. So now you live in Ermelo, and you've been there yeah. for a while, mm -hmm. and you're very engaged in youth theater. What's what's the story from when you studied mime in Holland? Where and where did you study mime to the point where you ended up in Ermelo? And how did you start the youth theater there? Like, well, for, the mime school is a school where you uh, you you get certain techniques, but actually you think you you learn a way of thinking about theater, which is a way of thinking of theater in layers, okay. layered theater and multidisciplinary. Okay. Uh, and so people that come from the mime school are all authors. They make, they make a lot of them, or at least they're thinking performers. Yeah. So performers that are actively thinking about composing uh, while they're performing, um, which, is, which is special in a sense, because uh, usually it's or you are a performer or you are uh, a maker, but in the mime school the two things were combined. Uh, when I got off the mime school, I made for 15 years experimental theater. 
I performed in pieces, in, in other people's pieces, so I was, a, you know, I was a performer. But I also made a lot of own work, yeah. which was experimental, which was very often site-specific, and which was very often going to performing arts. Yeah. But the, but the performance, I'm sorry, performance, yeah. as in visual arts performance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was also performing in galleries, for example. Nice. So I was making work which was really experimental a lot, in very strange places, for very strange audiences, and not typical kind of stuff. And then we moved to the countryside, which was Ermelo, which is the Bible Belt in Holland, um, it, where there is no, um, like the culture that you have in Ermelo, there's quite a lot of choirs okay. uh, singing Christian songs, okay. but there's very little else, and there's no professional art scene at all. Um, and I sort of wanted to, uh, even though I was, I was dependent for my work uh, to go to Amsterdam back and forth, I also wanted to create work there because I, I, I didn't want to be always busy uh, having to tour or having to go somewhere else to, okay. to, make, to do my work. And so I, um, because what is there is there's amateurs, of course, mm -hmm. people that don't know, uninformed participants and uninformed performers. So um, I began working through, uh, I, I, I went to a, a center for culture in the city next door and where they, and I just bluffed and I said, I can teach. Yeah, <laughs> you bluffed. Yes. Yeah, perfect. I said, I can teach, I can teach people how to make theater. Yeah. And, uh, and then I got the job. <laughs> what gave you the confidence to bluff? Uh, I needed money. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and also, uh, I've, I've made so much theater in such difficult conditions that I did know that I can make theater in one day, I can make a performance. It's, so that's so. like related to what you said, that the mime, and, and you call yourself a theater maker, that you're actually able to work in different layers of the making of the theater, performing, directing, production. Also those kind of layers, but yeah. also within the, th within the performance itself, yeah. Uh, that you work with uh, uh, not only the performer, not only text, not mm -hmm. only movement, but with movement, text, uh, the, having music or sound, uh, how does the space yeah. work, where does the audience come from, what is the spectatorship, yeah. what does that do to the performance, how do you think about all these things, so that you don't think of a story you want to tell, but you think of all how all these different things interact and, and sure. in this interaction, that's how you are telling your story. Or and is it like your it. skills in all these different layers within the piece, but also with, from the outside of making them, did yeah. that, that, that also contribute to like the self-confidence to go and into this small place and say like, hey, I can do this, I can, I can make theater? Well, I thought I could do it, I don't know. I, I just, I just, I, I don't know, I just... Well, I know how capable you are, and I know I, could, I would trust you. <laughs> well, I had to find out how to do it, because yeah. I, I, didn't, I really didn't have a clue how to build lessons or how yeah. to, you know, pedagogy or whatever, but I just thought, well, these are... If I consider uh, the people I'll be working with, which were the young people between 12 and 14 years old, uh, to be actors yeah. uh, or performers. And uh, if we are going to... If I just consider that uh, I begin the lessons... Uh, and that at the end of the year, where they have been coming for every once a week, we have a performance, yeah. which means that we are going to make this together. Yeah. How do I get them into movement to make material with me? Yeah. And then if the material is being made, 
if if they are if we are working if we're collaborating together yeah. then i don't i wouldn't i see it as a collaboration yes that's 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 how so it's not about me being great it's about just i about being convinced that i can collaborate with kids that are 12 yeah and uh, that they of course don't know some things that i know but that they know other things and that they can surprise me with what they know and yeah uh, and that they are also curious yeah. I think if you um, if you sort of uh, uh, consider that if if you anybody any uh, kids that want to want to do theater well there's a lot of them that want to be a star but uh, in in the pieces I worked with there were no stars it, it was everybody contributing yeah. what they were contributing and. Uh, this stardom thing sort of gets to the background, and actually, it's a it's a group thing. Yeah, that that's how I work at least. Uh, I don't yeah. I don't work with you know like main role and, but somebody that can carry more weight will carry more weight in certain things. But then the others they have maybe carry they're carrying more weight sure. maybe in how they um, contribute to making oh, how does the set look or uh, these kind of things. So that people have different talents as well. Do you how do, so you said. That it's young people from 12 to 18 or 20? Or no, 14 at the first, 14. in the beginning, but yeah. afterwards older. So, and it's, it, at the core of the process is collaboration. Yeah. How, how do they deal with that collaboration? Is it difficult for them in the beginning? Do they smooth things out quickly? Do they I, don't, I don't say, okay, now we are collaborators, yeah. but I just... Uh, well, I have a, my method of working with everybody that I work with, which is I work a lot with students as well. So I, work, I like working with people from between 12 and, let's say, 25 years old. That's, I sort of like that very yeah. much, is to start working. And uh, so my, my, my strategy is uh, to, in the beginning, not talk, but to start working. So okay. to make, um, make it possible for them, actually... Even if I work at a high school, sometimes I have done also workshops at high schools with kids that have to do the drama or whatever yeah, they yeah. have to do, so they are not at all motivated to, to stand there and do something. I have them uh, performing in, I'd say, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, so they, it's too fast for them to think about it. And then when you, once you're performing, then uh, there's already something to look at and something to make better. and. Uh, uh, I guess this is part, probably the stuff I picked up uh, uh, within the um, within my th my theater practices. I can, if I see something, then I know that if if they advance a little bit more, or they uh, they they do it in the corner, or they come in and say something, it will work better than what they have shown. So by by giving these suggestions and letting them do it again, all of a sudden they see that the material is growing, and mm -hmm. even though they were not confident about the material they were proposing, and maybe the material was sort of like weak in a certain way, uh, it's uh, it can very easily grow by giving it the right attention. And then they get more confident and start feeling confident that what they propose is something. Yeah. And once this happens, then you're collaborating already. Okay. It's good. It's good. So you kind of, quote unquote, trick them to get into this position where they're contributing more. And yeah. I, I, like, that. I like that. It's not really a trick because I also state it later. I, 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 of course, I, I, I do say, okay, 
um, well, when 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 they do a course, it's different. When yeah. they, you know, the, the the mother has said, well, it's good for you to do some more theater because yeah. you're shy, and then they are sort of there. Okay, I have to do this theater because my mom told me. So that's a different motivation. Okay. But later, when I had my own group, yeah. uh, then they were motivated themselves to be part of it, yeah. even though they were shy, for example. But they had their own motivation sure. to be there. Sure. And then uh, I, it was clear that uh, the group is a group thing and that everybody has to uh, shoulder their responsibility in it. So I, I always state this. Yeah, so you, yeah, un, you un reveal it in the end, I guess. Yeah, I always reveal that. So it's oh, how do you... You're working with amateurs, quote-unquote, even though... I don't like that word. Yeah. It has a has a bad stigma to it, um, at least in my mind. Uh, but how do you address like the intensity of focus and the quality quality of what they're doing? Um, and does that how do you do you try to make it fun or is it you know like how do you how do you deal with this? Depends on the material. If you if the material needs it to be fun, then you try to make it fun. If the material needs it to be really focused and and simple, then you simplify it. So it depends on what your what your goal. It, it's there's not like a formula or something. Okay. It really depends on 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 what you're you're striving at, where where you're going for, what you're aiming for. Um, I also work with professionals, so I have both worlds. But um, one of the things I do know with amateurs is that uh, they have to, to make them perform well, uh, uh, even though there's, for instance, you have to make people aware that there's always something going, going to go wrong in a performance. <laughs> uh, and that um, you have to give them strategies how to cope with these things. Okay. So that when something goes differently, that they are sure of themselves that they would know what to do. Yeah. Uh, which makes it already um, uh, less uh, evident that it will go wrong. Because things only go wrong when people think, oh no, it's going wrong, yeah. and state it or, or act yeah. accordingly. If they think, oh, it's going different, oh, maybe I should stand there then and I'll say this, and then we could, you know, then they already have a different way of, of treating the things that go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in performance. Um, for this, I actually, uh, from the beginning, even when, for example, when I work with students, um, from the first lesson on when they are showing something, it's, it's very much about making material and showing it, making material, showing it, discussing it, remaking it, showing it. So it's very much about this. But every time you show something, that you uh, perform it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that it's not like you have to, you know, there's this moment, okay, now I'm going to perform it. No, you were performing all the time because then you can really find out what the material does to you. Yeah. And this strategy or this way of thinking I also do with amateurs. Right. So that it makes it important to give them, uh, to make them aware. Amateurs have, for example, they could would stand there and then when they're, they don't have any text, they would go off yeah. and then sort of look at you, okay, Okay, he's finished. Okay, now it's my turn, and then I start acting again. I, and I make them aware of this, yeah. and I say, no, you are always there. You cannot turn off. You have to uh, listen to what he says. Then yeah. you have something to do, or whatever, you know, if, if it would be a dialogue or something like this. So I am very sharp on this from the beginning. Great. And which makes it that when the kids play, even if things really go dramatically wrong, usually you, the audience doesn't really notice. And um, even though they're amateurs, uh, they will not step out of the role and 
and you know, so, <gasps> what do we do? What do we do? Do do this kind of thing? So, how do you how do you choose themes, like the the material that you use? It emerges from the group. It emerges from the group. Yeah, but there's um, it emerges from also from me a lot working with them and then for example working with them and then thinking oh it would be really cool to do something about this yeah. and then I would propose it and then it would be it would be their things it would bring their things and then it would emerge again so it's it there is I, I have for the for the youth theater group I have had to uh, really uh, work out themes because uh, I there's a certain point I was go I was going for the funding because I wanted to be able to uh, uh, give the possibility to be in the group for also kids that had no money, because uh, uh, if you go to a, a, a course a program in a cultural center, it costs like 300 euro for for a year, and okay. there's kids that will not do that because there's no money there. Yeah. So uh, I wanted it to be really. They have to pay something because it makes it important. There's a commitment. Yeah. But um, I didn't want it to be about money. Okay. I wanted it to be about commitment. And even there was, there's always been one or two exceptions that weren't even able to pay whatever was sure. asked. So I, I, was, I had this funding, which also meant that, and that's also what I said, that I take serious, very seriously what we made. Even though we would perform it in the village for 60 people or 100 people at most, uh, in, in, I would, we would always do at least, let's say, four performances, at least, of every piece. Normally in amateur theater, it's one time. Um, and for like 20 people, 40 people, 20 people, this kind of, this kind of audiences you have to think about. Uh, but the money would also go, for example, we did a Romeo and Juliet with, um, uh, with the zombies, which was an idea <laughs> of some, one of the kids. And it was really nice, a goth, very goth performance. And uh, but then I would buy these, you know, these lenses so that the 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 the, the, the zombies would have like blue, no, red eyes or yellow eyes or white eyes, so that it would really uh, that they would look as well professional. The costumes would always be well done. Nice. The, it, the 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 way we treat the space is always professional. The 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 the, the, the sound treatment of sound treatment of light, even though it's in the I don't know the how you say the. Uh, Jeugdhonk, uh, you know, where the, the social center or something yeah, like this, yeah, yeah, yeah. we would transform the whole place. Community center. The yeah. community center, we would, you know, get, I would arrange that we could be able to be there for a couple of days and then we would change it and, and, and make it completely, not, not put a set in it and then just say here, but make the whole space. All right. Because I, I'm from site-specific theater, so I, can, I know how to work as a, a site. And would they all so, be involved in all yes. of the aspects, yes. sound, design of the set? Of the yes, if set. they have talent for it, of course. Yeah. They, yes, they, they would be asked at least, and they are allowed to react. And I've, I've had the last cohort of, uh, because I've had different cohorts in this group, because they grow old and, and they, they go away. away. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the last cohort, I had uh, quite a few musicians, so there was always music that was nice. made by them themselves. Live music. Yeah, live music, cool. always. Or music that we taped and we soundtracked it or something yeah. like this. And yeah. there was a cohort where I had a filmer, a guy that was, who's, who is actually a camera guy now, professional. Nice. But uh, uh, so I included, that's when, I, because I had him in the group, I began to include a video nice. projection and video taping and all this stuff. What's, you've had almost 15 years of experience with youth theater now? 
Yeah, something like that. What would the now Monique today yeah. tell that the then Monique from 15 years ago? What have you learned? Like, what what advice would you give yourself, a young, younger version of yourself? Oh, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I, what what I, what I found out is that that um, because I was I was doing it and I was not realizing that I was building a body of work with it. And actually, that's what I'm doing the master now. And I realized that I built a body of work. Yeah. And that the body of work is actually an interesting body of work where a lot of things uh, have happened and have been addressed that are also been that are also addressed in international theater scene. You know, all the big hotshots, but that we addressed it in Ermelo in, in this in these works, and that's interesting to find out. But it's also interesting to find out that actually everything, even though when you're, when you're young, you, you, you want something and then you do something else because you need money, then you do something else because there's a situation where you, you know, get this possibility, so you try something else. I even did musicals at this point because I, I was working and I needed some money, so I did, uh, they needed a, a director for The Wiz and what was the other one? The two musicals. I did it. And... Um, Uh, I wasn't, you know, occupied. Is this okay or not okay? No, just do it. And then everything that you build up actually makes you uh, better. And is you build up a body of work, you build up information. And um, uh, I think at the time when I sort of graduated, there was really a very uh, elitist um, mentality, uh, uh, which I was actually very happy to leave when I left Amsterdam in the experimental theater, certain things are done, other things are not done. Uh, and when I went to Ermelo, I just began doing everything because also that was what there was. I mean, if, there's, if there is no elitist theater, then, then, well, what it, yeah, then you do musical. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, and, um, and by doing all these things, and that opened up Uh, so many possibilities because I found out that you can have a signature or you can have you can develop a body of work in very different situations and uh, so that was something that I know now but I think that you have to go through all this and have the resistances and think oh I'm doing this but it's not important uh, to anybody and all yeah, this kind yeah. of stuff before realizing that actually you are building up a body of work and then Of course, coming to the conclusion that even though you build up a body of work, you have to discover everything every time anyways, again. Very so wise. <laughs> you never know what you do anyway. So. <laughs> uh, what are your interests these days? I know you're doing a master's here in Artes, yeah. um, reflecting on this body of work and trying to maybe... Well, verbalize it's, it's, <laughs> what you It's collateral do that I reflect on the body of work because yeah. I have a research subject. Um, Anything outside of university that, like, what are the pro What are some projects that you want to to see through? Maybe you haven't still started them. Well, know? I found out that I do want to still still teach, uh, but I don't want to. I, I never have wanted to become a teacher, but and I don't want to become a full time teacher at all. Yeah. But I still like to teach. So I found out that actually I do like teaching. Uh, I knew it, but I didn't accept it yet that I yeah. liked it. So now I sort of like say, okay, no, you can accept that you are a teacher. Why didn't you like it? Because I never wanted to become a teacher. I'm a maker. And I wanted to make performances. And so teaching is something, you know, different. It's like, you know, rehearsing, repeating stuff. Okay. It, that's how you think. But that's not how I teach. So 
I just found out I can be a teacher like I want to be a teacher, yeah. so, and, which is nice. And I have the, uh, they want me as a teacher, which is nice as well, but make, makes it easier to say that. <laughs> I'm sure you're a great um, teacher. I've seen so. you in action. <laughs> yeah, I often, I often think about you. I have to say when I do my music workshops and I'm like, what would Monique do? <laughs> you know, and then try to um, do, you know, like approach a different way. Um, I don't know. But that's something I discovered uh, that I want to keep teaching. Uh, but I also discovered that I, uh, I certainly want to uh, keep working in difficult conditions in the sense of, of with amateurs or uh, doing sometimes commissioned work where, you know, you have... Uh, we did, for, we did a, a commissioned uh, project where we did an audiovisual project for the whole Fedua uh, for younger people and uh, where we... Um, it was so, so difficult, but then when you... I have to know why I want to do it. I have to be motivated to do it. I have to understand my motivation in this. But if I have something that fascinates me, then um, I, I really like working uh, within the society sometimes. Because actually the work I make uh, is... Is, is very strange work, and it's it's very nice to see that even though I make strange work or not, you know, standard work, mm. that I can communicate with um, people that are not an informed audience. I, I have I'm sort of deciding if I want to go back into the world of informed audiences or not, mm -hmm. and uh, because I haven't been in that world a lot. Uh, sometimes I have, but uh, in, in projects I have, but. Like, do I want to pursue something in this? I'm not sure. So this is what I'm. This is what I'm sort of like uh, thinking about, and what is an informed audience? But there, there, there is this world of informed audiences where people show yeah. other informed audiences, and so it's a lot about what is theater, what is art, what is theater in this neoliberalist time, yeah. and what is all these kind of things uh, that are that I've discovered now doing the master that this discourse, theoretical discourse, which has very interesting aspects, but which I'm, I'm uh, not sure what my place is in this. Okay. But I do feel that if I only stay with the amateur thing, um, I'm sort of cheating myself out on, on a certain kind of uh, discussion, yeah. which, which really stimulates me, and a sort of level of... Um, of talking about the work, yeah. which you don't have if you work with amateurs. Exactly. Great. Do you have any advice for people, for teachers who are trying to do more creative work, for young people who might have some resistance towards making things? You know, some wise words for the um, world out there. Or if you don't, that's also fine. Well, um, it's really important to see what's there. A lot of people are focused, and that's teachers, as well as people that make things, are focused on what they want to see or what they want to have happen. And um, uh, uh, for me, it's really essential that you make the, even though you have, of course, an intention with which you address something, you have you know, a goal or an intention to do something, that once you have addressed it and something is happening, that you see and you uh, acknowledge what is happening and not what you want to see. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that's how I work. Um, so it's very much about observation and very much about, but okay, I have this idea, and, uh, but it's working like that. Oh, what can I do with that? So letting go of your own uh, goals and stuff, being daring to let go, because very often if you do dare to let go, then the material will take you back to what your starting point was, but that's different when the material is taking you back or when you're forcing it down the throat of somebody or or the material or whatever. Mm. That's one thing I would say, but then um, my work is not, there's, there's different kinds of work, so I, I can't really say that. If you, if you are somebody that is very much into embodying um, techniques, for example, then you have to uh, rehearse, 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 go through all this rehearsing, go through all this rehearsing to achieve a level so that you can be free. And uh, there's, so it's very different. It depends really on very much on the work you do or, the, or your specialism. Mm -hmm. If you are um, uh, a specialist in this sense, or what do you, how do you say that? Um, technical, technically a specialist, yeah. then you need to learn technique and then you need to have these goals and force, if it's, uh, somebody has to learn how to play piano, it's not like everything that, is, that somebody comes up with is okay. You have to sometimes put the the level high so that somebody can achieve something, that yeah. they can go beyond their own, what they have. But, uh, so it's a bit of a play of, of inciting somebody to learn something new and get, go on, and also to acknowledge what is there. So it's the two things, it's a bit of a difficult thing. So I don't have any <laughs> recipe. That was cool. <laughs> okay, that's it. That's it. Thank you so much for participating and talking to me. That's in, in the Nicola, <laughs> the Nicola interviews. <laughs> I don't have a name yet. Do you uh, have a good name for this? Toshits talk. No, Toshits tosh, 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 How do you say your name? Toshits. Toshits talk. Toshits talk. Toshits Talks. Okay, we're going to put uh, it as a candidate. It's going to be really tongue twister. <laughs> it's going to be. Talks. Okay, that's it. All right. Cut.